Welcome to part two of this episode. In this part, we're going to take a look at the emotional toll this pandemic is having on our day-to-day lives, what is getting each of us through it, and what lessons we will take away from this experience. I'm Stephanie. Welcome to Alltown USA. Let's start with a friend of mine, Penny Schmidt. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. Penny has been a strong supporter of this podcast from the very beginning, so it was only a matter of time before I got her to sit down for an interview. When I think community, I think Penny. Penny's passion for Alton, its history, buildings, businesses, and people is contagious. She's extremely active in the community and its development. I wanted Penny's voice in this episode, not only because her work has come to a halt during the pandemic, but also because she offers a unique perspective in having lived through another incredibly challenging time. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. Penny lived right in the heart of New York City, just blocks away from the World Trade Center during 9-11. I asked Penny to share what that day and the following days were like, because while these two events are different, I think the emotional toll that Penny and others felt during and after 9-11 is similar to what we all are experiencing now. And then that day, we all were in kind of a daze and walked around in silence, really wondering, not in disbelief, wondering what had just happened. And in the coming days, and there was, um, Again, a very visceral feeling of devastation with white ash, people walking home that day, all the traffic stopped. And there was a desire to connect with people, to acknowledge somebody on the street that you might have passed routinely but didn't know their name for recognition that, okay, you're here, you're okay. Um, so it was quite a, a devastating few days. And then as we all started to settle in to try to resume life, um, for many of us in the quarantine zone as we lived, it never was back to normal. We were, our, our world had been changed. Our, our uh, streets were papered with faces of individuals who are missing. So there was a great sense of loss and sense of uncertainty about what the future held. And um, we all were encouraged to go back to work and to keep things, um, not be terrorized by this event. But slowly over the next few months, it changed our outlook, and um, ultimately I decided to um, close my business. Um, I felt that human instinct to be of greater service, I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Uh, But what happened was um, over the next few years, I found myself kind of going into a cocoon state, and um, I felt it physically as well as emotionally and mentally. 
pulling away from the world. It was a time of deep reflection and transition for me, and I didn't know where I was going. After she closed her business, Penny found herself in Alton to be close to family and has been here ever since. I then asked her how 9-11 and its aftermath and the current pandemic compare, if at all. This is much more profound, at least for me in my life right now, because 9-11 seemed like, okay, we identified the threat, we, uh, we know where it came from, and we thought of this war as outside of our country, as beyond us. Um, I don't know if that's actually true, because I think the idea of fanatical terrorism still haunts us. But this invisible virus that keeps us from each other is um, much more insidious. Mm-hmm. And I think will um, have a lasting impact. I think it is different. Um, and so it's a whole new learning experience. But there's some things that I emotionally that I notice um, in myself that are uh, similar. I asked her what she thinks it will take for Alton to bounce back when this is all over. I think it's going to be really hard. I don't think we can even begin to calculate the toll this will take or is taking right now. I see amazing resilience and ingenuity and the sort of grit of the Midwestern um, work ethic. Let's figure it out. Let's, you know, adapt to this, which is really inspiring. I see businesses supporting each other and helping each other out. Great generosity, great commitment. I think Alton of any locations will um, will survive and flourish through this. It will be different and there will be casualties, which is really horrible to anticipate. Um, but I think there's a lot of ingenuity here. I think There's a tremendous amount of commitment within the community to bolster each other up, to support each other. So I'm I'm very hopeful. This theme of the Alton community working together to support one another keeps coming up. Everyone I interviewed for this episode recognized the resiliency and grit of Alton and its community. And the people I interviewed next are no exception. I'm Stephanie Huff. I'm Peter Huff. I am pastor of a little church called the Alton Mission. Um, Meet Stephanie and Peter Huff. Peter is a pastor of a church called the Alton Mission and is a community organizer related to helping those in need. Stephanie and Peter moved to Alton about 10 years ago, and I asked them how they've been enjoying living here. Uh, Life in Alton has has been good. It's been good to be rooted in the town. It's been interesting, I think, coming in as an outsider. The history is really important to the town, obviously. Uh, the civil struggle for civil rights, the struggle for equality has impacted the whole country. But the strange and varied connections that this place has to the movement, uh, has it's been a really interesting story to get to know. And I think in part, when you come to serve a community, you come to serve the ongoing story of that community. So they're is to be kind of a, a submission to that story. And so in many ways, it's just trying to figure out um, what's the ongoing story of restoration in this place um, and how has that story been playing out? And then, and then how do you just sort of come alongside the people who are pushing that story forward? 
I love Alton's authenticity, and I think that shows up in its history. I love that it, it, this town doesn't seem to be trying to be anybody else. Um, it's just very much itself, and that means that sometimes it's beautiful and heartwarming and inspiring, and sometimes it's not so beautiful. And there are parts and parts of the story that you wish that you could erase or go back and change. And I love that about it because I feel like it's such a good representation of humanity in general, that we are beautiful and have so much to offer each other in the world, but we also have these hard edges that cause ourselves pain and cause each other pain. And we wish that we could change that. Um, but the whole story altogether is what makes us human. I asked Peter to tell me a little bit more about the Alton mission and how it gives back to the community. People tend to think about giving back to the community. And I think sometimes that's a phrase that's born out of the fact that um, like a church would be disconnected from the community. Mm. So uh, even, even to think in terms of like, oh, we want to give back to the community assumes that the people that we're giving back to are not a part of quote unquote us. So the story of our church has been trying to form a new version of us, uh, trying to erase that divide between those who have enough and those who don't have enough, uh, trying to heal the divisions between uh, people of different races, trying to become uh, a community where we really experience um, like genuine community, genuine inclusion. So. Um, so for us, in part, it's it's the fact that uh, probably half of the people who come to our church are people facing chronic poverty. Um, a lot of uh, people who are in and out of experiencing homelessness. And for us, it's trying to learn the difference between being a church for the poor, which, you know, you can be for a cause, you can be for some work, that kind of thing. There's a difference, though, between being that and being a church of the poor, um, where those who you would label as poor, those who you would label as having less, genuinely find a place in your circles of friendship and community. So I think in many ways, our church is just attempting to practice what we hope is becoming more and more true of the wider community. In setting up this interview, Stephanie and I texted briefly about what a challenging time this is and that, quite frankly, it's hard to be positive all the time. So I asked her how she's doing and what sorts of things she's been thinking about to help her get through each day. I think what I have been applying, telling myself, first of all, and then trying to communicate to my kids, who obviously, you know, I'm around 24-7 now, mm -hmm. um, and we're all sort of adjusting to this together. So, I mean, I just think that this is a time to be extravagantly gracious with everybody, with ourselves and with our neighbors, trying to communicate that like, we all have these feelings, we're all going through this stress, the stressful time of transition, the stressful time of not knowing the future, not being able to control the future, not that we ever could, but this has just really brought that into, that's really just really highlighted that for us. So I think like that brings all these emotions to the surface for us. And um, I think giving each other the grace to like, just feel what you feel um, and accept that. Like there doesn't need to be any judgment about what you feel. There doesn't need to be the um, Olympics of suffering, you know, like determine who has the right to feel bad and who doesn't based on how much is going wrong in your life right now or how much is difficult for you. Um, so I think what I'm trying to communicate to 
um, my kids especially, because they're the ones I'm seeing the most, but to anybody I'm coming in contact with would be just that, like, it is okay where we're at and it's okay to acknowledge what we feel and we can be gracious with each other. We can assume the best about each other. We can give each other the benefit of the doubt. We can let our friends rant when they need to call and rant. We can be silent and listen. Um, we can comfort, we can reassure, um, but nobody has to be putting on a smile. Nobody has to be pretending that they feel something that they don't. Um, so I think mostly just listening and letting people feel what they feel. That's what's been most important for us. Mm-hmm. I think what Stephanie says is true. We have to allow and then forgive ourselves for having moments of fear, stress, frustration, whatever it may be. But how do we move past that and not allow those feelings to consume our lives? When thinking about this for myself, I decided to turn to the person I talk to most for advice, and coincidentally, the only person I have face-to-face interactions with these days, my husband Chris. So I decided to put a microphone in his face, the only in-person interview I did for this episode, And I asked him how he's thinking through and coping with this new reality. Chris is a philosophy professor, and while he could talk for days about how some of the world's greatest thinkers would respond to the pandemic, he did talk about one school of thought that really struck a chord with me, and that's Stoicism. And while neither he nor I would consider ourselves Stoics to the core, some of the principles are extremely helpful in dealing with uncertain times. And I think many of those that I interviewed for this episode represent those principles and how they're thinking through and reacting to this pandemic. Let's let him explain. I think that with the way that you described the coronavirus as being a silent threat, um, something that is kind of invisible and we're unable to actually do anything physically. I mean, they say that you know you can wear masks, but that's not even sure. They say that you can um, self-isolate, but um, we still have to come in contact with other people. So it's, it's reasonable to be afraid of it for those reasons. But um, Stoicism tells us that we should only concern ourselves with things that are within our control. That's not saying that you should just ignore the coronavirus and do whatever. It's, it's simply saying that you shouldn't despair at it because that's beyond your control. You should put your energy towards things that are within your control. Um, and for, for the Stoics, that was often the way in which you looked at the world, the way in which you um, reacted to situations. And so um, for me to be Stoic in this time is to not despair, recognize that it sucks, um, but that we still need to move forward. Um, and that I should still continue to focus my actions on the things that are within my power to, to affect. Taking care of myself, taking care of my family, taking care of my community. I can't fix coronavirus. Um, I can be thoughtful to my, my fellow citizens. I can, I can care for others. So those are the things I should focus on. Now, does that mean that we can't have bad days, that we can't be scared? or? Um... I think the exact opposite. I mean, it's almost saying that those bad days and being scared, those are inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, but the, the key is to stop blaming yourself for it, um, to stop thinking that somehow that it's representing something that is impossible to overcome. We then started talking about community and how Stoicism says that community and giving back to community is essential. 
Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius was an ancient Roman Stoic philosopher. Thought that all of your actions should be about community because uh, you are essentially a part of the community. He even talked about it as like a body. So um, you, uh, we're all parts of the body, and so if something happens to one part of the body, it's gonna it's gonna affect the all. We need to think of all humanity as um, part of the same body. Um, he said you should always focus on communal actions. Um, those are the things within your control. And, you know, obviously I can't necessarily take into account the entire world of, of people, but I can focus on the, the community around me. And so um, one should always try to do what is in the good of the community. Human beings are, are social creatures, and we excel when we work together. This reminded me of something Peter and Stephanie Huff said when I asked them how we get people to care about their communities and want to do good. So it's Soren Kierkegaard uh, wrote uh, that loving your neighbor, the first step in loving your neighbor as yourself is believing that your neighbor is capable of love themselves. That basically you, your neighbor is not less than you. So in some ways, I think we have to look at uh, our entire community and say everyone is just as capable of loving, just as capable of helping. Uh, we each have within us the capacity to do good. And this is part of what gives me hope during this crisis. And a lot of times we say, oh, well, I'm only human, therefore I make mistakes and stuff like that. But there's a higher view of humanity that that really our, our humanity is that we're life-giving creatures, that we, we can bring order out of chaos, that we can shine light in darkness, and that that actually is the most natural thing that we can do, even though we've we've gotten discouraged, we've gotten broken, we've been hurt, we've hurt others. Um, but I think probably it's just a matter of having a vision and inviting people to do what's on their hearts to do, and then equipping them, equipping them to do it. I think that people um, need to feel needed. Like I think people um, oftentimes underestimate their own value and what they have to offer. And I think that we need to do a better job as community of saying to one another, we need you. Um, and if you don't show up as part of this community, we all lose out. And that's true for everybody. There's not a person that that's not true for. When I asked several of my interviewees how they were feeling, this idea of acknowledging their fear or frustration, but then acting on what they could control, and even using that feeling to help the community, was a common theme. Here again is Sarah McGibbony. To be honest, the first few days, I was, I was kind of shell-shocked. I didn't do much but kind of shuffle around my house in my pajamas in a circle and try to you know, just think of anything I could do to help. Thankfully, as it's gone on a little bit more, I have had more communications with my colleagues and our board members and volunteers. We have been coming up with all sorts of ideas to, you know, evolve things and, um, you know, do things in a different way. We're just trying to figure out how we can continue our mission and continue to do what we do just in a little bit more of an isolated fashion instead of everybody being together in a huge group to do it. And in Donna Bazilian's case, who, as you'll remember, is an RN at Alton Memorial Hospital, it's almost as if pushing aside fear in order to help others is an innate quality. You know, kind of nervous and kind of scared, like, 
I got told to screen the general public coming in for to the medical building. There come many people coming in for lab work or doctor's appointments. And there were two or three people that were ill or maybe answered yes to the question that I've had a fever or yes, I have traveled within the last couple of weeks. Well, you kind of, you know, as you're saying, you're taking the temperature, you're obviously not six feet away. So <laughs> I was willing to do it, but I was kind of, I was kind of nervous. My husband's probably more nervous about it than I am. He doesn't like the idea of me going into a, a atmosphere that could potentially uh, be exposed to something. But I just reassured that we're doing everything we can and taking the precautions that we can. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm in the, in the field that, has to be accessible to help and that's what we do that's our profession what made you want to become a nurse when i was young and in school i just always thought i wanted to you know the corny little phrase i just want to help people kind of thing you know when i got into it it would just felt right it's just what i did (laughs) felt natural so Mm -hmm. i enjoyed i enjoyed being able to help people and here again is penny i was grateful to have the thought that maybe i can turn this emptiness into openness to the world and having the beautiful spring really was sustaining like the river Mm -hmm. Um, uh, in terms of reminding me if I got up and went outside (laughs) a life was going on around me and to to really try to be open to a new schedule every day Mm -hmm. and so time has become very physical in the sense that I find myself much more conscious of every moment and the days can feel really long and I can lose track of time and not know what day of the week it is because I was used to measuring everything according to a daily schedule. So one of the great benefits has been that Again, like after 9-11, there's a desire to reach out and connect with people. And um, I often find, if not on the phone, distance walking Mm. can be really a wonderful way to see friends and have a, a physical presence. When I get to talk to people, I realize those conversations are so much more meaningful because there isn't the added distraction that perhaps was there before when I was caught up in a routine of schedule or feeling like, oh, I need to respond to that email or I need to get to this meeting, that the um, connections that I perhaps didn't have the time to take before, Mm -hmm. have been um, really rich and, again, have opened up a new aspect of life that I hadn't um, relaxed into before. So I continue to uh, sort of wait and watch, and I certainly have moments of great fear and doubt and uncertainty, and I'm not very good at articulating where I am because it's in constant flux. <laughs> but um, it's, I'm finding that there are lessons to be learned. <laughs> and so I'm wanting to be receptive, of, in more of a receptive state than a, a driven state, which I think I've spent a lot of my life in. <laughs> We may not know when this period of time will end, but we know that it will pass. 
I asked each person what they will take away from this experience. And while their answers vary, they are all united in understanding that not only has this pandemic shaken our world, country, and communities, it has also exposed areas of needed change. However, despite these challenges, they are also united in the belief that the only way to overcome this pandemic is together. This is not new. You know, we, we've been through crisis before, and I, I know sometimes, like, it's just like a, a new sickness, and you you start thinking the worst thoughts, but if you reflect back from the beginning of your life and, you know, things that you have been through, you, you have been through things and you have survived. You were um, built to survive. So don't, don't you know, by no means don't think this is going to take you out. You, you were built to survive. As soon as we can get out our uh, homes, out of our quarters, we, we're going to be there for you. We're, we're going to help you. That, and that's just not the Harrison family. That, that is families all within our community who are waiting on the opportunity to help people. And, and history has proven that in our town. Yeah, I think the best is yet to come, and I think God's plan is going to be larger than what we could imagine, what He's going to do for everybody. So we just have to stand on faith and trust God. I'm always happy. It makes everybody happy to see people working together. I hope that people will keep that. They will ask their neighbors. They will ask people they don't know, how are you? Are you doing okay? And I've even asked people that I don't know. Do you have food? Are you doing all right? And how many times do you do that to people you don't know? Why not? Let's keep doing that. Let's keep asking people, are you all right? Is there something that can be done to help you? Is there something I can do to help you? If we can't help each other, you know, don't worry about the pandemic. If you can't help each other, you're going to go anyway. We need each other. I think that one thing I've been impressed with in the community um, is how creative people have been and how they've stepped up um, just to encourage one another and to be community oriented and to build something positive. I think what has impressed me is that here we are, we've been put under these limitations. We've been put under limitations of um, our time and obviously of our space. And we've used those limitations to like inspire us to creativity and to supporting one another. And if we could keep that going when those limitations are gone, um, I think that would be, that'd be great. And I know that's something that I want to keep doing for myself that I can take a 15 minute work break, I can do something small and that small thing has the power to not just make the world a better place, but to encourage other people to do their small part. Um, I feel like this this experience is showing us because we've all been put under the same limitations and it's showing us that um, we can be creative and we can work together and we can make something beautiful even um, when the situation is hard. One of the things that, um, that feel like coming out of this, I want to try to see more clearly is um, there's there's a difference between a, a crisis and something that's a chronic problem. And right now we're in a crisis, which the clarity in a crisis of, you know, what the problem is and what we need to do in life gets simplified. And there's a sense of urgency that helps uh, initiate action. Um, but 
but the crisis also this particular crisis as well takes advantage of chronic problems so literally the the virus is much more deadly if you have chronic underlying health conditions but even socially um the the pandemic aspect of this crisis is taking advantage of chronic underlying conditions in society whether that's disparities in wealth and in healthcare um disparities in you know the zip code that you grow up in and therefore the the kind of life outcome or even life expectancy that you can have but when we get out of the crisis um working on chronic problems is a lot harder is a lot less clear and it's it's difficult to get the sense of urgency that will rally people to the cause so i think part of what's going to have to happen if we're going to continue to have people um doing good and working for restoration is we're going to have just to to figure out a way in our town to make it easy for people to do good you know an appreciation that things will always change you, you get pretty um stuck in ritual you do certain things over and over and to have all of that just kind of taken out from underneath you was a a, a a pretty big reminder that things always change, including this, um, which is you know helpful for getting past it, is recognizing that this too will pass. Being more flexible in my thought as we move forward and, and ready to deal with the unknown. I think preparation. I, I don't think anybody thought that something like this was even possible. If we can learn anything, it's like, how do we structure things businesses, companies, housing, the community in general just like nationwide, how can we structure things so that if something like this happens, it's not such a shakeup. I think we all were so blind to the idea that this could totally happen and not even this exact thing. It doesn't have to be a pandemic. I mean, gosh, if anything bad were to happen, I don't think that we were prepared for it. And I hope that we can learn how to be ready. I certainly think our connection to each other is what's most vital. Finding ways to stay in touch, to stay connected, to be more conscious and caring for each other. I also think one of the lessons that has come back to me and I see it in others is service that it's in the opportunity to serve that we can feel value <laughs> that's where our real strength is i'm hoping that we retain some of the sensitivity and um the attention to each other and to the present moment i i'm hoping i hold on to that i'm watching for those sprouts of new life inspiration innovation vitality that i know will surface through the human spirit being more prepared you know what i mean i mean we we i think we take the fact that we just you know live life and we don't we don't think about things like this happening so it kind of just lets you know that you know we need to be more prepared whether it's at home financially mentally just 
so that it doesn't hit us so hard when things of the unknown that we thought we would never see in our, you know, life happen and don't complain so much, you know, be closer to the people you love. I was watching um, CNN and, you know, the news anchor, she has it and you know how you have to just separate yourself from everybody. So she was like, on day three, my husband looked at me and was like, there's no way I'm gonna let you go through this alone. You know what I mean? So that's big because like, I couldn't see one of my kids having it and then I can't like go in the room with him. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you gotta love hard. You gotta love hard. You gotta love hard. This episode of All Town USA was written, edited, and produced by me, Stephanie Young. Theme music by Will and Janet Buchanan, with additional music by Darren Pierce and Miles Moore. Special thanks to Lillian Bates, Donna Bazilian, Yvonne Campbell, Kayla and Jason Harrison, Stephanie and Peter Huff, Sarah McGibney, Sydney Rushing, Penny Schmidt, and Chris Young.